this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life and our work and our travel over recent decades. Today on the show we will be talking to Catherine Reed, partner at Uniconsult Wick and Partner. Catherine is an international sales and marketing consultant with over 20 years experience developing niche products in emerging markets. She helps small and medium companies to break through international barriers, creating successful entrepreneurs in a thriving global marketplace. Uh, Catherine is originally from the UK, but has lived and worked in Austria for many years. And her main focus is on countries east of Austria. And by that, I take it she means Eastern Europe, Near East, but especially Asia. Um, And I think all of that is of keen interest to Irish exporting SMEs looking to diversify export markets in the wake of Brexit and other shocks that we've experienced over recent years. So uh, welcome, Catherine. Delighted to have you join us today on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. You're very welcome. So tell me, uh, Catherine, a little bit maybe about your career to, to date. How did you come to be a, a Brit living and working in Austria and helping uh, European companies export to Asia? Originally, it started simply because I was a languages student. So I had to spend a year abroad and I spent my year abroad at for German language. I spent my year abroad in Austria because it was closer to the mountains and I wanted to be able to you know, ski and enjoy my life. And consequently, I realized that Austria is actually a really strong base for exporting Mm -hmm. and took some exporting courses here. And that was how I got into exports. And then I was back in the UK for a few years and worked there in uh, export. I was working in the automotive spares industry before I came back to Austria in 1999, and I've been here ever since, as the saying goes. Okay, so all together, how long have you been in Austria? All together, if you count the time I spent as a student, then around 24 years now. Okay, so that's a huge, that's a huge chunk of your life, really, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. do you do you do you feel Austrian now, or are you are you still a Brit at heart, or is it, are you kind of a, a hybrid? I'm a hybrid, I think. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that however long you live in a place, you're never quite 100% um, localized, as it were. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I think if I went back to the UK, I probably would find it really difficult to fit in these days, especially especially now after Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. not, yeah. doesn't fit with my philosophy. So. Yeah, I understand that, that kind of um, feeling. I, I lived for, in Spain for many years. And uh, my wife is uh, Spanish, so I kind of became Spanish in a way, part Spanish. And now I know she's been here so long. If we went back to live in Spain, she'd kind of be out of sorts as well, you know. So it's happened. It's happened to us both ways. We've had it both ways. Um, so tell me a, a little bit then about your your business today. What is what is the business? What kind of uh, services do you provide? And typically, who are your clients? And typically. We're working with medium or small to medium-sized companies who are often in the consumer goods space, especially in the food industry, and who are looking to expand ideally towards Asia, but also sometimes for Eastern Europe. For Austrian companies, often they have quite close connections to Eastern Europe because, of course, you know, Eastern Europe begins directly behind uh, Vienna. Well, they used, to, uh, they used to have an empire there, didn't they? Yes, <laughs> exactly. They used to have an empire. So there's a lot of historic connections and 
and so on. But of course, as soon as you start also getting a little bit further away and you start talking about countries like maybe the Baltics, or you start talking about countries such as Azerbaijan or Eastern Mediterranean countries, if you start looking at Turkey, then often people would like a little bit of support if they're mm -hmm. looking to enter into those markets. And so what we would offer them would be a little bit tailored to, to what they need and depending on where we pick them up, where they're standing right now. So some companies come to us and they would ask for kind of training on the sense of helping them to develop outside of Europe. Mm -hmm. Others would ask us to support them and literally just come in and say to them, okay, well, we would recommend you do this and you do that and they will do it themselves. And there are still other companies who would say, please find us a partner in that market and help us get established there. Mm -hmm. So it's a range of options. It's almost like a menu of options. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. And um, for SMEs in particular, what are the specific challenges that, uh, or barriers that they have to break through when they're looking to internationalize their sales and how are they better off after working with, with you guys? I think that SMEs often underestimate the amount of focus that they need to put on an overseas market if they're going to move into it. And they often do it almost, if I say almost on a whim, they often do it for maybe the wrong reasons. And so I think that companies really, we like to sit together with them and make sure that they're really going abroad for reasons of strategy rather than just because you know, they like the idea of, of spending, I don't know, spring in Paris and uh, visiting a trade show in Tokyo, all of those kind of, um, let's say, more personal reasons. Mm -hmm. and, what, and what kind of what kind of obstacles do they do they face that would be, say, different from larger companies? I think for smaller companies, obviously, the question is that they just can't afford to make any mistakes. So investing in a consultant, on the one hand, it seems like it's a big expense upfront for them. But on the other hand, it means that they can avoid making the mistakes by just learning them the hard way themselves. And they can cut out a lot of time, which is often something that a small or medium company doesn't have. Whereas a larger company might be able to afford to let their team learn it themselves or they can afford to have a big team of consultants who are advising them on every little aspect of the way en route. And I think that for a small company, they often need somebody to, to guide them a little bit who's been in that position and who's done the job themselves and who really knows what kind of challenges they're facing, be it regulatory, be it cultural, or be it from... Um, simply from a how does the retail look in this country and, and why does it tick differently to at home? Okay. And after they've worked with you, how are they better off either through what they've told you or, or from what you have observed of how they're better off? I would say a mix, partly because they've often found a partner much more quickly than if they'd been looking themselves because they've found a partner who was part of my network already. And so somebody that I've worked with in the past or who I've had contact with in the past, perhaps I haven't worked with their company, but I worked with them when they were at a previous company or so on. And so I think for a lot of them, it takes out the risk 
of um, entering into a market or at least significantly reduces the risk if they're working with a consultant. And it also, it takes out some of the fear. You mentioned so, some people get involved in, on, on a whim, as you said, and, and I've seen this, you know, they've met somebody at a trade fair or something and it sounds like a great idea and they, they, they follow the, the lead and so on. So it's opportunistic in a way. But if you are looking at it strategically, what are the reasons that you think SMEs should be looking to export? Because some of them might say, well, you know, why would I bother? Um, you know, I've got plenty going on here. Or uh, they might be in a relatively large economy, say, if they're in Germany or if they're in England and it's a relatively large economy they have around, around themselves. And they say, why would I bother? So strategically, why do you think it's important for SMEs to look to diversify their export markets? I mean... Of course, it's at the end of the day, it's down to everybody themselves. But mm. my personal opinion would be certainly that working in a range of markets diversifies the risk simply because it's very rare that it's really very rare that the whole world closes down fully at the same time. Even during COVID, we saw that mm. there were nuances as to which countries were completely closed down at exactly which periods of time and who opened up when. So if you have a range of markets, then it's unlikely that you're going to be hit with the full, uh, let's say, loss of your business at the, at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. That would be the one thing. Secondly, if you're producing a product where you um, upgrade and update that product as time goes by, of course, you have the opportunity that if you've already saturated the market in your domestic market, you can, of course, expand your reach internationally. And potentially, you can also expand the product's life by going into markets which are maybe not yet quite as sophisticated as your home market, who would be happy to purchase and use that product maybe for just another three to five years that could be just you know, if that product's already paid for itself, that could be just profit on top of what you were already earning mm -hmm. for relatively little risk and effort on your behalf if you can find the right partner to do that with. And, and what, what kind of commitment do SMEs need to be willing to make in terms of time, sweat and treasure to make these breakthroughs <laughs> in international barriers? I think it depends a little bit on the product and the market, of course, because if you have a product that you have to um, that you have to localize before it's it's suitable to export into I don't know into China, for example, then that is obviously a more expensive prospect than if you can take the product that you're selling, say, in Ireland, and you can put it directly onto the shelf in Singapore. Then that the investment that you need is on a different level. So I think that um, that should also be part of the strategy if people are looking to go into markets that they have to decide how much time are they willing and able to invest. But they have to also accept from the beginning that if you're not going to, especially for Asian markets, if you're not going to invest the time to visit them a couple of times a year, then probably they're never going to really take off for you as an important market because you're not demonstrating to the partner that you have locally 
that that market is important enough for you to invest the time and the money into it. Yeah, you, you've mentioned several times this uh, idea of of partnership and relationship. So that seems to be very uh, very important. So, um, what what kind of attributes do companies need to be able to develop those kind of relationships with people in different cultures and different markets? I guess not everybody is good or equally good at that, right? Not everybody's equally good at it, but I think it's probably in some ways, it's never been easier than it is today to to make at least the basic level of contact. So for any small company who's looking to build their networks overseas, then they can, you know, they can approach the local chamber of commerce. I know that Ireland has um, great support for for export. I'm not quite sure if the technical name Ireland Enterprise or... Enterprise Ireland, correct. Enterprise Ireland, yeah. Yeah, who who support and who have great contacts and who can give very specific advice. You can go via LinkedIn. You can visit an international trade show under normal circumstances. You can visit an international trade show. Um, You know, you can ask other people that you know. You can ask somebody who's in a complementary industry to yours if you produce... I don't know, if you produce um, juices and somebody else produces soda... You can ask them if they have contacts who could also be useful for you. And I think that there's a whole range of different ways that you can approach this networking. But as with anything else, um, just meeting somebody and exchanging contact details with them doesn't mean that you have a relationship with that person. A relationship has to be nurtured and it has to be taken care of. And the more energy you can invest into that then obviously the stronger those relationships are going to be and of course certain areas of the world be that south america africa asia they work very strongly on relationships europe also works on relationships every every market works on relationships but some markets are more willing than others to do business on the basis of facts figures and what you can see on paper Whereas some markets, if they've not been for dinner with you several times and they've possibly not seen you sing karaoke and make a fool of yourself, they <laughs> might not be willing to do business with you. Yeah, I've sung karaoke in Singapore. I've done that. Um, I've had <laughs> very long dinners in Spain. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's, all, that's all important to do, isn't it, in those places? Definitely. I mean, if you're somebody who enjoys doing that kind of business, that is also one of the the most fascinating parts about it to see how how different countries like to enjoy their downtime as it were 93.9 dublin south fm it seems that the countries where the level of trust is high a priori will rely more on facts and figures and presentations and where trust is 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 lower they require more personal contact you would you concur with that Definitely. I mean, I've in the past, during my times of being employed, I have spent literally days in China with people when I, especially in the beginning, was almost tearing my hair out because I had the feeling that they were just um, wasting my time. We'd signed a contract. um, I had topics I wanted to discuss with them but they were wanting to show me around and then it was time for lunch and then you'd go and look at something else and then it was time for dinner and then it was time for karaoke 
then you'd maybe go on to a club and you know and and time was passing by and then three hours before you headed for the airport they would sit down and everything suddenly would be gone through in a very business-like manner and because you'd invested all of this time into the relationship that sometimes you were really like you really had to get a grip on yourself not to show signs of impatience and so on <laughs> but having invested all of this time that it came back to you um really strongly that okay you've invested in the relationship we know now that we can we can trust you with this and and things would would move forward very fast after that yeah it's so, an important thing to be uh, to be aware of and it's and it's easy to become impatient and uh, to feel that you're being maybe even led up the garden path right you might you might feel yes. that it's not yeah. going anywhere definitely especially if you know that there are topics to be discussed mm-hmm. which are which are difficult topics because of course in any business relationship you have difficult topics be that um i don't know be that pricing issues be that production issues be it supply chain questions mm-hmm. or just a delivery that you know didn't quite work out or something in sales that didn't quite work out as everybody had hoped there's always something that's a little bit uncomfortable to discuss and for uh, SMEs based in small European countries like here in Ireland or Austria, where, where you are, which, um, which sectors and which foreign countries outside of Europe do you see uh, there are good opportunities for small, small European S- or SMEs from small European countries? I think that there are really a lot of opportunities. I mean, Eastern Europe, if, you, if we're talking about Irish um, SMEs potentially, if they've not looked at Central and Eastern Europe, then that can be um, a great place to do business. Serb- markets such as Serbia or Poland, they can be they can be really strong trading partners. Mm. And particularly the fact, business. well, not not Serbia, but Poland and Croatia are in the EU, so that makes yeah. it almost very yeah. easy, doesn't it? Very yeah. very easy to do business there or in the Baltics, yeah. Mm. Um, and you can use some of those markets also for stepping stones into other markets. If you're working with a Baltic, pan-Baltic partner, you can often get good contacts to do business in Russia. Or you could, from a Polish from a Polish base, you can also potentially get contacts to do business in the Ukraine. So you can potentially move outside of the EU that way. And simply taking it step by step, moving a little bit further eastwards each time, is often the best way to do it. Because if you start by doing business in Croatia, it's not a huge move then to go outside of the EU and to move into Serbia and potentially also Bosnia and to move down the the Balkan region, let's say, and to move down the chain, yeah. And I think for a lot of companies, that's a better step than to suddenly start trying to um, go into 10 new markets at once where they don't have the resources to do it. It's better to pick one or maybe two markets at any one time and really put focus onto those and to put the budget that you have into those markets um, and see what you can move with that mm-hmm. and then think about what you've learned and how you can apply that into other markets. Okay. How has COVID affected either whether positively or negatively uh, the process of establishing relationships required um, to break through in these distant markets? And how much of that change do you think will be become permanent? Um, I think it was, even though 
almost everybody was used to doing a certain amount of business via video conference before the pandemic. It was a huge shock, especially in those countries in Asia, where everything is very relationship based and where a lot of partnerships were based on at least a quarterly visit, if not in some cases, maybe almost a monthly visit. And so it became okay for people who had established relationships that they could manage those via video conference, at least to a certain extent for a certain period of time. But what has been very difficult has been for people who've been looking to build completely new relationships from zero in that time. And I think that those of us who've been in the um, consulting space during that period, we've been leveraging the, the relationships that we had and in lots of cases, if you've needed something new, then you've been going to the people you already know and saying to them, do you know somebody who can do this mm -hmm. or who is active in this industry? Because otherwise there was um, no way to get that kind of slightly warmed up relationship going. Yeah. Uh, I might just ask you some questions now about things more general that are going on in the world, just get your views on them. I, mm -hmm. I like to ask people who come on and see how they think about the world. So um, are, you, are you familiar with Tom Friedman's book, uh, the, the World is Flat, A Brief History of the 21st Century? Um, he, he, basically what he says is that uh, he argues that um, historical and geographical distances, differences have become irrelevant in, in international competition. Um, and basically the whole world is, is, is the same. So well, what do you make of that assertion that the world is flat in that sense? I don't think I agree with that, mm. to, be, to be honest. I think that the world has become smaller in the sense of it's much easier in some ways to do business with people. You know, I mean, you and I, we've never met in person. We were recommended by a mutual friend, who I've also never met in person. We have another mutual contact who I've also never met in person, but we almost met mm -hmm. last year. So I think these days, if you want to meet people, you can meet people online and you have the feeling that you have a certain relationship to them. But certain markets, when you actually go there and you see the reality on the ground, especially if you're dealing with products and not services, if you're offering coaching services, it maybe looks a little bit different. But I think if you're offering... Um, products and you you say you go to a market somewhere in Central Africa and you look at the infrastructure and you look at the supply chain which is in place then you realize that the world is not flat and that you are really yeah. a long way from home. Geography still matters. Yeah. And geography geography really still matters in some things and, and I think that the world has become distorted in that way because mm. some things have become much closer and other things are still very far apart and especially from a financial perspective, I think that, the, you know, some countries are still on an extremely low level, unfortunately, and struggling. And others have become richer and richer as far as their general level is concerned. So yeah. that's always a... Yeah, maybe another, another, another question for you. Between um, 
Trump now now passed, although maybe he'll come back. And uh, Brexit, which is still unfolding, which is still unfolding in front of us. Climate change, which we still have to deal with, and COVID, which we're trying to get over. So we've heard a lot in recent times about all of these things and kind of globalization being in in retrenchment or even even reversal. But on the other hand, we see the rise of economies like like China and India, Indonesia, Mexico, Turkey, and many more around the world. So we're heading for a world that's far more complex and multipolar, at least uh, multi, yeah, a multipolar world, at least in economic terms. Um, so what's your own view of where we are with this whole globalization thing and where we're headed? Do you think we're stalled? Are we going backwards? Or are we just changing form? What, what do you think? I think that we're just changing form and that this period of COVID has given the world, to some extent, food for thought um, and a little bit of time to regroup in certain aspects. So I think that in the past, you could see over the years, I mean, when when I was growing up, it, it always seemed like cheap electronics, they always came with made in Taiwan or something like this, you know, and you can see that kind of moves in in phases that first of all, everything is outsourced to this place and then and then things were made in China for quite a while. Certain industries already maybe five or six years ago, they were moving out of China because China was just too expensive for them. Um, I think my last pair of um, sports shoes were, they used to be made in Vietnam. Now they're made in Cambodia because Vietnam is too expensive. Mm. So you can see all of these kind of, I think that this is the normal way of the world, um, that there will always be these, moves and i think though that and to this extent maybe the world is already flat you can't stop globalization because everybody especially with the internet everybody is looking and everybody wants to have the mm. newest thing somehow maybe they don't want the very newest thing but they want to have you know they want to experience progress and and so i think that um whilst there may be a slight slowdown in the process of globalization as we previously knew it i think that it will go on but in a in a transformed new normal format as the saying goes yeah as we're coming to the end now i might just ask you one or two questions just about your, your yourself so in your in your spare time when you uh are not working um what kind of things uh, do you like to do i think you have some interesting quite unusual hobbies right i think did i see something about clarinet playing or something like that indeed you did yeah, yeah. And being in Austria, it's a great place for it because obviously being very musically based here, every small village or town has its own wind band. And so I'm quite privileged to be in a place which has a really high quality wind orchestra in town. So, and I'm part of that. So a good amount of my time and nerves goes in that direction. And are you, are you listening to anything or reading anything interesting at the moment that's kind of inspiring that you might recommend um i literally just started reading kaifu lee's new book ai 2041 um which is looking forwards 20 years as to how ai might be impacting our lives at that time and to how this can be combined with humanity in order to be a force for good Mm, interesting. So give me the author's name again. Kai-Fu Lee. Kai-Fu Lee. Uh, and, and the book title? AI 2041. 
AI twenty forty one sounds sounds interesting. So if people want to uh, contact you and they're, they're looking to uh, um, markets in Asia in in particular, what's the easiest way of getting in touch with you? You can either contact me via my website, which is katherineread.com. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who would like to sign up at um, katherineread.com forward slash interlinks, they can get an ebook which would guide them through a one step-by-step process in order mm-hmm. to decide on which new markets they should enter. Or I'm very accessible on LinkedIn also, and I'm always willing to talk to people on there and exchange about international ideas. Excellent. Thanks, Catherine. And that's Catherine spelled K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Isn't that right? And read, and read like a book. Yeah, R-E-A-D. Very yes. good. So uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Catherine. It's been, been a pleasure and I wish you uh, ongoing success both personally and professionally. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk. And thanks also to listeners for tuning in. Any comments or questions, just drop me a line on pdaily at albalogistics.com. That's P-D-A-L-Y at alba, A-L-B-A, logistics.com. Keep well and stay safe until next time. Mm-hmm.